Entertainment, a podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me is the person who keeps this show on the straight and narrow, Lydia. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, and Happy New Year to our listeners. Uh, it's so nice to hear your voice, Lydia. It's been a while. We took a we had about a month off because of December, because of the holidays. We recorded some stuff early so we could do that. So now it's been it's been a while. You had your big trip down in South America. I did. I uh, I started a whole ultra marathon and stopped it. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to stay and it was gorgeous down there. So no regrets. Excellent. Good. Well, let's see. I want to remind everyone that you can listen to this show by whatever means that you are listening to it now. But also you can subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. And I encourage you to please rate and review us at any of those outlets. You can also join our Facebook group. Just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Orphan Entertainment. Any feedback or anything can be sent to orphanentertainment at gmail.com. And of course you can subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch many of the films that we cover here on Orphan Entertainment, including ones I try to post usually uh, within a week or two before we actually record or uh, before the podcast actually airs in case you want to watch it before you actually hear us talk about it. The only thing else that I wanted to mention is something kind of new I've started a tea public store. I have it tied in with my other podcast, which is the Time Shifters podcast. So if you go to tpublic.com slash user slash Time Shifters podcast, and I'll have that link in the show notes, you can go get yourself a T-shirt or some other uh, items, uh, wearable items, coffee mugs, you know, decals for your car or laptop, all with the Orphan Entertainment logo on it. It would give you a chance to kind of uh, share the podcast without actually have just going around and passing out flyers on the street corner or anything. And that'd be awesome, of course, if anything that's purchased there at the Tea Public Store, a couple bucks comes back our way, and that kind of helps pay for equipment and hosting fees and all that kind of good stuff. So for a podcast that covers films that are in public domain, it still costs money, and it's... (laughs) It's always nice if we can get a little bit back from something else to kind of help offset that. Well, I think that's got all the uh, stuff done. So I think we'll go ahead and listen to a five-minute mystery and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we're going to talk about 1932's The Reckoning. Another five-minute mystery. Toll gate to the great new cross-country speedway, a sporty red convertible pauses. How much, bud? Buck fifty to the next gate. Hey, what's the trouble with your friend there in the back seat, all bandaged up that way? Accident. Oh, that's too bad. Well, good luck. Hey, take it easy about two miles ahead. Repairs. Okay, I'll watch it. The convertible travels fast. Two miles farther on, they round a slight curve. The temporary fences around the road repair work loom close ahead. There is a sudden shout from a man at the side of the highway. Hey, look out! 
Joe, did you see that? One of them guys fell out of the back seat. Let's get over there, quick. So, Mr. Bryant, you say you weren't aware of the construction signs. Not until I was right on top of them, Sheriff. Ask Al here. He was in the back seat with Johnny. Did we see him, Al? Didn't the toll gatekeeper warn you about that spot? Well, the signs are moved for just a couple of minutes, Sheriff. Brad and I was out there to warn the cars to slow down. Now, this guy came along so fast, though, we didn't get a chance. You realize, of course, Mr. Bryant, that this is a very serious matter. The third person in your car, John Albertson, was killed instantly when he fell from the back seat. The toll gatekeeper reports that he was already the victim of an accident, was bound up in bandages. I know, Sheriff. I shouldn't have driven so fast. I I don't know what to say. Hmm. Well, let's hear your story, Joe. Yeah, it was this way, Sheriff. Brad and I were standing alongside the highway, like I said, and all of a sudden this red convertible comes racing along, doing, oh, at least 85 around the curve. I see. I'm going. Well, the two guys in the back seat, this big man Al here and the other guy, they were sitting there with their heads down. When the brakes went on, they raised up. John, the bandaged one, fell out the back. He, he must have lost his grip, I guess. He just flew right out the back when the car stopped. He... Flew out the back, eh? Hey, Sheriff, can we go now? I'll come back later if you want, but I feel pretty bad about this. I think I could use some rest. Rest? Sure, Mr. Bryant, you'll get plenty of rest. Right here in the county jail. I'm holding you for the murder of John Albertson. What reason did the Sheriff have for believing that John Albertson was murdered? In just a moment, we'll find out, but first... Tuning into Sci-Fi TV. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Brent Barrett. I'm Kevin Batchelder. I'm Wendy Hembrock. The Viewer's Guide to Genre Television. Welcome, everyone, to a special Supernatural-focused bonus Hello, everyone, show. and welcome to The Faith Fox, a family of podcasts for the genre-loving television viewer. Welcome to Saturday Bee Movie Reel. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Study welcome Group. Welcome to the top genre characters of all time countdown. And tonight, we're going to be talking about Game of Thrones Season 3. Find us at TuningIntoSciFiTV.com. And now, back to our five-minute mystery and the murder of John Albertson. Murder? What are you talking about, Sheriff? There wasn't any murder. It was murder, all right. And you and Al here collaborated on it. You see, Bryant, when a moving vehicle stops suddenly, the passengers in it are thrown forward, not backward. If Albertson lost his grip, he would have been thrown into the front seat, not back onto the highway. You're having him all bandaged up like that. Just made it easier for Al to throw him out. You see, Bryant, this time it was natural law that threw you into the hands of social law. <laughs> Say, that's not a bad line. The Reckoning is a 1932 pre-code crime drama directed by Harry Frazier and starring Sally Blaine and James Murray. This is the second time we've watched Sally Blaine in a film. The first one we covered is The Phantom Express back in March of 2017. I didn't realize that until I uh, was doing a little research on her. I didn't either, but she looked really familiar. Mm -hmm. She played the the main female lead in uh, Phantom Express. Well, cool. 
So I'm pretty sure we talked about her some back in, when we covered Phantom Express. So let's take a mm-hmm. look at James Murray. Uh, an amazing beginning to his career, but unfortunately kind of a sad ending. Murray made his film debut as Captain John Alden in The Pilgrims, a production that was shot at Yale University in the surrounding area. That was back in 1924. Uh, he moved to L.A. to try to continue his acting career. There he worked for several years, mostly as an extra, before he was discovered by director King Vidor, who saw Murray walking near the casting office at MGM. At the time, Vidor was in pre-production for his next film and thought Murray looked right for the lead. Murray, however, failed to show up for the meeting arranged by Vidor, thinking the offer was a joke. The director subsequently (laughs) tracked him down and hired him for the drama The Crowd. Murray's performance in the film was lauded by both the critics and the public. Despite appearances in uh, many MGM films after that, such as Lon Chaney's The Big City and Thunder, Murray's career declined due to his drinking and some arrests related to drunkenness. In August of 1930, he was sentenced to six months in jail for appearing in court drunk on a previous drunk driving charge. (laughs) After serving four months of hard labor, Murray was released, and he attempted to kind of get his career going again. In 1933, he signed a seven-year contract with First National, First National Pictures and Warner Brothers. By 1934, Murray could no longer obtain acting work due to his drinking and was panhandling on the street. Wow. King Vidor was casting his upcoming film, Our Daily Bread, and he immediately thought of Murray and set out to find him. He found a much heavier and unkempt Murray begging for money on the street. Vidor bought Murray a drink and offered him the lead role, provided he pull himself together. Murray rejected the offer and reportedly stated, Just because I stop you on the street and try to borrow a buck, you think you can tell me what to do. As far as I'm concerned, you know what you can do with your lousy part. Wow. Yeah. On July 11, 1936, Murray drowned after falling from the North River Pier. The medical examiner determined that the cause was asphyxia by submersion without ruling on whether his death was an accident or a suicide. Wow. So real sad to, uh, I mean, a career that, it, it's, the story is one of those stories that you hear and you're like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. They just found this guy and he was this... <laughs> Yeah, you, the stories like this have happened before. I think we've covered some of these stories where people were just, they happen to be at the commissary. And so, oh, you're perfect for the role. And then, boom, they, <laughs> next thing you know, they're winning Academy Awards or something and have yeah. a great and you know, prolific career. Same kind of story with this guy. Didn't end up the same way. It's a real And then shame. you hear the end and you're like, oh, my gosh. That's yeah. like horrifying. Kind it's, of an opposite reaction. Yeah, it's terrible. It's unfortunate. Um, we'll get into it we'll, as far as how, what we think he, how well he did in this film. But I, I certainly could see him having some skill. I think it's just, you know, some people in the 1930s, I mean, everyone drank. It's just unfortunate <laughs> that he uh, had a hard time controlling his and couldn't, uh, couldn't work <laughs> you know, under, the, mm-hmm. under the conditions. Yeah, exactly. That's all. Unfortunately, that's really the big, the most information I had on the film. I couldn't really find a whole lot on the film itself. Um, so I guess we can just kind of jump into the plot of this. 
the only other tidbit that I found that I just felt was interesting is uh, the character Doc in this, played by Edmund Breeze. Uh, it, and the character not not specifically is interesting, but Edmund Breeze's career started in 1914. Mm. He was already, I think, 43 years old, uh, and he's uh, you know obviously an older character in this. He passed away, I think, just four years after this was made. But the guy has something like 370 credits, and just was all over the place from 1914 for over 25 years, or no, not over 25 years, for a very long time, way more than 25 years. Uh, no, I guess over 25 years. My mm-hmm. math is not great, but <laughs> I was really impressed with his skills because obviously he uh, he made a real career for himself. Sure, he was definitely an actor, and he would probably, you know, you want me for the role, great, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I imagine a great many of those parts are probably small roles or extra yes. roles or or whatever. And it it's just you know he was one of those people that, hey, I'm an actor. You you pay mm-hmm. me, I'll show up, I'll do the job. <laughs> I was I was fascinated to see that he was, you know, he was in in films in 1914, mm-hmm. and obviously films that are long gone. You're probably not going to sure. find them, but still, uh, just amazing to see somebody from that era still. You know, obviously not current, but but in one of the films that well, considering how many actors of the silent era couldn't make the switch, yes, you know, to sound pictures, it really is impressive for someone to be that prolific throughout. And who started so Mm -hmm. so late in his life as well? Yeah, sure. Yep, very interesting. Well, the Reckoning from 1932. The film opens uh, in a nightclub. We see a a couple at a table. This is Judy and Terry. The two are discussing a job. Terry wants to do the job, but Judy seems a little reluctant. At this point, we don't know what this job is. And we actually see them doing a couple things on the table, or at least we see Terry kind of doing something, but we don't know what it is. We find out exactly a little bit later. I'll go ahead and spoil it now. It turns out Terry is a safe cracker. Did you notice when he's sitting on the table, he's got that, I don't know what it was, could have been a salt shaker or something. He's there sort of like real gingerly kind of like giving it slight turns one way or the other. I saw him fidgeting, but I ne- mm-hmm. it didn't click to me what it was he was yeah, doing. Yeah, I thought he was just fidgeting, but no, he's just sort of warming up his hands. <laughs> <laughs> well, Terry pushes for an answer from Judy, and she tries to deflect the question by asking Terry to dance. So they get up to do so. Unfortunately, the band finishes just as they get to the floor. That's always a little awkward. I've been there. In fact, I think that happens every time I get up to dance. (laughs) (laughs) I try to time it now. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Oh, just give me one, you know, let me finish off this drink and then we'll dance. (laughs) Come on, Judy. Say you'll come. We can't miss. Why, this will put us on easy street. Crooked streets are never easy streets. Can't you see what it means to me, honey? I'm, I feel safe with you. I. <laughs> Just a good luck charm to you, Terry. That's all. A mascot. And one bet you tell me that you love me, that you do anything I'd ask. And then the next you say that with me is your lookout. The cinch. Well, if you feel that way, Terry, why don't you listen to me? Go straight. What do we have when it's all done? Criminal record. Perhaps the end of the trail for you. For me. Maybe the chairs. Who knows? Can't
just leave our wall in for both of us. The great line in that clip is, Terry, this will put us on easy street. And Judy's reply, a crooked street is never an easy street. Yeah, there was some, I think that's what uh, really picked me up in this movie right away. And it was funny because, you know, when I said, oh, yeah, I think this is a good movie. Let's go for it. Mm -hmm. I had already gotten hooked on it and watched the whole thing before, you know, you had gotten into it much. But this is the way the scene starts and just how almost commonplace it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, You would expect that to just be boring and, you know, kind of a turnoff. But actually, it really caught my attention because, you know, I'm – we're so used to movies being very Hollywood where something big is happening or, you know, it's really intense and they're really just sitting there. It's very understated. And, uh, and yeah. I right away got caught by the character of Judy and wanted to know more about her. Sure. And, and what it is they're talking about, because you get some pretty hints, you kind of get suspicious that, Oh, wait a minute. These guys may not be on the up and up. I mean, the way she's talking, what are they talking about? Are they, are they criminals? Cause they don't, <laughs> they don't come out and say it. I, mean, I admit really, I already knew. <laughs> they really kind of, well, yeah, unless you read a synopsis or something. Right. But if you, as, <laughs> it's amazing. It gives it away right away when you read the synopsis. Yes. Yeah. But the story, but beyond that, the story it's... itself and the lines, you know, that they're speaking don't give it away. And I think that's really kind of interesting. But they do draw you in and they do mm-hmm. seem, I, it, again, I felt like it was just a really unique scene. I expected it to start off with them, you know, going and dancing or something, something very Hollywood and it didn't. Well, Judy wants her and Terry to go straight. Terry says he couldn't even if he wanted to because he would leave Doc in the lurch. Uh, two more men come into the club. Uh, the maitre d' greets uh, one of them as Mr. Ellis. He asks if there is anything that uh, he can ask of Mr. Ellis. And Mr. Ellis's reply, nothing you know anything about, rather slyly. Definitely get the impression that uh, we find out of the course that Mr. Ellis is a police officer. So you kind of get the... Uh, the feeling the maitre d' maybe this place itself is like, like a, a, a known hangout for the mm-hmm. uh, the less the the, the never do wells <laughs> <laughs> the less than desirables <laughs> yes and of course the maitre d' probably knows all about it but if, you know oh I don't know anything what would I know because he wants the big <laughs> tips from everybody else right well Judy spots Mister Ellis here and he rec- and she recognizes him uh, her and uh, uh, Terry try to kind of hide themselves without actually looking like they're trying to hide themselves. They they just do the kind of the turn. Oh, we just happen to be sitting in this really awkward position. Or... <laughs> <laughs> With our backs to the door. <laughs> right. Uh, a group at another table also spots Ellis, and one of them tries to leave. Like Another guy's like, hey, get out of here. So the man... Uh, who was with Ellis, there's, there was two guys that came in, the, the other guy with Ellis stops this guy as he's trying to get out and drags him out. Now, honey, we haven't any time to waste. Make up your mind. Are you coming with me or not? No. Not with you, Terry. You don't love me enough to listen to me. You go your way and I'll travel alone. But I'll travel straight. I couldn't go any other way. No matter how much I love the man, not worth it. Okay. So long. If you pull this job, Terry, it won't be so long. It's goodbye. Well, so long. 
Yeah, I, that's a great at the, at the at the end of that. That is really awesome. I I love the um, if if you go, it's not so long. It's goodbye. It's goodbye. Yeah. And so he looks at her and says, "Goodbye." And I'm like, yeah. Oh, that's like wow. We've just saw a couple break up in the first break five up. minutes of the film. <laughs> well, Terry leaves out the front, and after he's gone, Judy collects her things and heads out the back. We see Terry as he starts to get into his car, and who does he find but Judy in the passenger seat waiting for him. Judy still thinks that this is a bad idea, and Terry should tell Doc to go do his own dirty work. But Terry tells her he just can't, and they drive off. Next, we see them trying to crack a safe. An alarm goes off when they open the door, and they take off and manage to uh, leave undiscovered. Or without being caught, anyway. Obviously, they're discovered. The alarm's going off, but yeah, they, they leave without yeah, being caught. Them. They make their way to a nice, uh, kind of looks what it looks like an upscale apartment, and we do meet Doc. Uh, they and they let him know about the failed job. Well, no luck. What do you mean, no luck? The one you weren't caught. I wish he had been. You wish he'd been caught? Why? Judy, you didn't mean that. Come on, kid, you're nervous. You're all shot. It's over now. We had a close call. It's okay. Forget about it. I did mean it. Meant every word. I wish we'd both been caught. Thieves. Go ahead, Terry. Tell Doc what you promised me. Tell him you're through. Both of us. Through? With me? You? <laughs> Don't make me laugh. I'm through. If you two want to wind up in the big house, you can. But I'm not with you. I'm all washed up. Well, to the shock of Doc, Terry wonders out loud that uh, maybe, maybe Judy's right. And Terry goes to her door and tries to talk her into opening it so they can talk. She finally lets Terry in, and Terry tells Judy he'll do whatever she wants. She tells him that tonight made her realize that they are destined to end up in jail if they keep this life up. It's only a matter of time. Terry says that he'll tell Doc that they're quitting and going straight. After the next job. After the next one. Oh, oh knew it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that isn't exactly what Judy wanted to hear. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah. Uh, guys, so, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, Terry didn't read that one right. Uh, Judy, Judy grabs a suitcase and starts packing. All along, Terry, I've loved you. I've always thought that I could stop you, but it's no use. I'm a woman, Terry. I want something in life besides the numbers, and I'm going to have it. Yeah. Or where do you think you're going to get away from everything? At Peggy's and Bob's. Oh, please, Terry. Please tell Doc you're through. Get a job and be a man. Well, while she packs, Jerry, uh, Terry joins Doc in the other room, who has been uh, setting up some dinner. And I have to play this clip here, uh, just so you can hear Doc's very well-timed interjections into this conversation. Have you changed your mind, Terry? Coming with me, or are you saying good morning, Judge? Nuts. 
It's not so easy to be a quitter. Walk out on Doc? No, it's easier for me to be the quitter. You've got me wrong. I've got you right. I know how much I mean to you. They slice it thin, but it's still baloney. Well, if you change your mind, Terry, you know where you can find me. Oh, I've got a nice little supper and only two of us to eat it. This conversation really made me hate Doc. He's yeah. just such a jerk. He is a jerk, but you have to admit that his the way he, he throws those little <laughs> moments in uh, about we need uh, I I forget what exactly what she was saying, but he just throws in nuts. <laughs> yeah, baloney. Uh, no matter how thin they slice it, it's still baloney. <laughs> and I I have to give Judy props. She doesn't get on to him about it. She knows there's no point. That's the kind of guy he is. She's just going to leave Doc alone and Terry there with him. Yep. And so yeah, so Ju- Judy leaves and. Uh, Terry, uh, hmm? <laughs> I say good for her. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She she leaves. She tells Terry, uh, you know, you know where I'll be if uh, change your mind. But otherwise, she's she's out. So Doc and Terry start their dinner uh, when the doorbell buzzes. Doc, thinking that Judy has changed her mind already, goes to answer it. He's very surprised to find Ellis at the door. Doc uh, keeps his cool and invites him to the table. Expecting company? Sure. You're apt to drop in at any time. Sit down. Thanks. I don't think I ever met the young man. Oh, my brother's boy. Been going to school. What kind of a pupil is he, Professor? About ready to graduate? What's the matter, kid? Are you nervous? I'm all right. Something go wrong tonight? Oh, by the way, where were you tonight? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You have nothing on him. He has an airtight alibi. He was with his girl. She left here ten minutes ago. That's fine. I guess I'll have to find the girl. Oh, by the way, what's her name? Mary. Mary what? Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I, I like the relationship that they, real quickly, they sort of give you an idea of a relationship between Ellis and Doc. I almost, it's almost like a, um, oh, they, they both know exactly, or I should say Ellis knows exactly who and what Doc is. Mm-hmm. Or just boxers circling each other. They're both kind of looking for a, a drop in the other one's guard. Yeah, but you definitely get the impression that maybe Ellis has a, uh, or I'm sorry, Doc has maybe even helped Ellis in the past. Ellis knows that Doc is a criminal Definitely and maybe crooked. like a yeah. kingpin <laughs> or maybe, you know, like the top of a food chain of a group of thieves or something like that. So I would see that Ellis may have actually has gotten information from Doc because it 
benefited Doc for some reason. Yes. <laughs> you know, and so they have that sort of that sort of that weird relationship between cop and crook. And I, I feel like that's kind of I caught the second time around that that's just Doc is always on the upper hand, mm-hmm. and it kind of uh, I don't want to say too much, but it was interesting the second time around watching it. I I really had a different opinion about what the movie was about. Hmm, okay, we'll get to that in a bit. Well, this visit from Ellis rattles Terry, and even though Doc assures him that you know Ellis was just fishing, this is enough to finally. Uh, convinced Terry that Judy was right all along. Doc tells him to go ahead and take some time off, lay low, let Ellis keep fishing, but, as he kind of pats Terry down and pulls the gun from his coat pocket, don't give him any bait. (laughs) (laughs) Terry tells Doc that Judy was going to Riverdale, and he leaves. Doc gives the classic, so long, and then the door shuts, sucker. (laughs) And then uh, I think he actually pulls up like a train schedule to find out exactly uh, maybe where Riverdale or, or when the train, <laughs> when the next train to Riverdale is. So we know, like you were saying, Doc is always thinking and he's always got the upper hand. So he's definitely got something planned. Mm-hmm. Well, we find Judy at Bob and Peggy's. Judy is helping in the kitchen while Peg gives uh, her some relationship advice. And describes how nice it is to have Bob on the straight and narrow and not having to, you know, constantly look over their shoulder or worry every time they pass a police officer. Bob comes home and surprises Peg with a $5 bill. Peg, at first, uh, is shocked and thinking that he had uh, gone back to stealing and, and with only a few, a few days left of his parole. But he assures her that it was on the up and up. It was a whopping $5 tip. Right away, you really like Bob and Peggy. (laughs) They're just sweet, wholesome people that are just doing their best to, you know, stay out of trouble. Well, Bob tells Judy that he has a surprise for her, too. uh, And it's in the living room. So she goes out to find, or she goes out to look and finds Terry. Well, hugs and cuddles as they discuss how great (laughs) Bob and Peg's place is and how they'll have one just as nice, only bigger, you know. For the kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a knock at the door. Peg answers, and it's Ellis. Bob keeps Judy kind of out of sight in the kitchen uh, when he goes out to talk to Ellis, who is gleefully as well as sus- suspiciously eyeing Terry. How are you two getting along? Uh, fine, Mr. Ellis. We couldn't have been getting along any better. Uh, why? Nothing. Your parole will be up in a short time, won't it? Uh, yes. Uh, 30 days more and we'll be square with the world. It'd be kind of tough if you lost your parole now, wouldn't it? What do you mean? He's been going straight? Sure. You can check up on me. I have. And you're all right. But I don't like the company you're keeping. You've got nothing on me. I didn't say that I did. But the fellow that introduced us kind of made me want to know you better. <gasps> Don't say that I didn't warn you. There's a line that, you know, I, there's a line I didn't mention, and it's it's really cute. It's just one of these little little moments between the actors that I just really love, that you wonder how much is scripted and how much 
was kind of come up and on the spot and how well did these actors kind of get along and everything. Um, when the door uh, buzzes, uh, Peggy goes out of the kitchen and Judy says, oh, I'll finish here. You go get the door. And Bob's sitting there with her. And she's like pouring out the batter into the pan. And Bob's like, eh, would you, can I have the bowl when you're done? She, no. I mean, no. It's just a really cute, natural banter between the two. It's just really well. Well, Ellis drops his hints and threats to the bunch and then leaves. Well, Terry and Judy know that they're putting Bob at risk. So they decide to clear out. In the hall, Ellis is uh, slowly leaving when he notices someone coming up the stairs. He decides to kind of hide himself in a closet, and as it turns out, it's Doc who's coming up. Doc knocks on the apartment door, and Bob lets him in as Terry and Judy are trying to leave. Doc refuses to leave unless Terry and Judy go with him. They agree, and they all leave. And that's kind of the end of Bob and... uh, Bob and Peggy, unfortunately, they're kind of, Mm -hmm. they were kind of cute characters. You kind of wish were in involved a little bit more because in the end, you kind of want to know, you want to know how Bob it all works out with Bob, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I feel like it goes okay. I think it does. I think it does. I like that these people are, you know, aware of who they are, of what's going on and the risk that they put these, these two at. Yeah. And I mean, these guys would Bob and Peggy probably would have let them stay. Mm-hmm. But they're like, but no. to their own detriment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're like, no, no, we're we're out. I, I, again, another really great uh, bit of writing there uh, between the characters mm-hmm. here. Well, the trio, uh, Terry, Judy, and Doc, are staying in, I think, some hotel or an apartment elsewhere in town. It looks like they've been there for some time, at least you know, uh, long enough to have boredom uh, set in, as well as they you know change of clothes. So you definitely get the impression it's a, a day or two later. <laughs> they ask Doc what is the next move, and they are surprised when Doc tells them that tells them that Judy was right. They should all quit. They just should get out of the business. Terry and Doc will lay low for a few more days. Uh, Doc will help Judy get a job, and it's then that we see the papers that Doc has been pouring over. A newspaper headline about Mr. Henderson returning from abroad with a fortune in gems. So, hmm, hmm, hmm. You, you almost <laughs> need that dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. this, and again, you've got, you know, just Doc on the upper hand. You know, Judy's like, well, I can't, I don't have any references. And Doc says, oh, I'll give you a reference. And yeah. she's like, wow, you're so great. Thank you. And he's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, oh, he's just so skeezy. He is. Well, we now meet this Mr. Henderson. So this is actually, I should mention, Mr. Henderson's the one who gave uh, Bob the $5 tip. Uh, oh, I did not make that connection. Yeah, there's one oh, line. It's funny. it's really quick. He's like, how, how do you like that big shot Henderson coming back from Europe and giving wow. me a $5 tip? Yeah. And I, I just didn't make the connection. That's mm-hmm. really interesting. Yep, all connected here. We meet Mr. Henderson, and we meet his new governess, Judy. She's gotten a job with Mr. Henderson to care for his young son, Buddy. I, I like uh, Henderson walks in. He talks to his butler. He's obviously very well off. He's got a manservant or a butler or whatever. He's like, oh, is, uh, is the new governess here? And he's like, yes, she just started. He's like, uh, does Buddy like her? He should. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then it's like it's that real quick. You're like, oh, he should. And then get, oh, I'm sorry. I'm the, I'm the help. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if he were a little more blue collar, he would have been like, he should. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but I just, I just love he kind of gets a, that that one brief moment, and then kind of you know 
regains oh, his composure yeah. and then, and then <laughs> walks off. Yeah. <laughs> it's very cute. Well, let's see. We see uh, Judy and uh, and Buddy playing for a while. Mr. Henderson meets her. Everything seems fine. Uh, so Buddy and Judy head upstairs to play. And with a spare moment, moment, Judy calls Terry to let him know that she got the job. Or later that night, Ellis calls on Mr. Henderson. He lets Henderson know that some jewelry thieves have uh, left the city and he believes them to have moved into the area. Henderson's ex-wife's jewels in his private vault could be their target. Henderson is not worried and shows off his secret vault. Judy walks in as they finish up. Mr. Ellis is obviously suspicious that Judy is Terry's, as of yet unseen by him, girlfriend. Which has been a running thing throughout the thing. She's always just in the other room or just left or hasn't arrived yet whenever the uh, the mention of a girlfriend is, is, is brought up. Well, back with Terry and Doc. Doc has finally shared his plans of robbing Henderson. That is why he set Judy up on the job, to be kind of like an inside source of information. Meanwhile, Ellis shares some plans of his own with Henderson. Plans for tomorrow night, and no one is to know, not even the governess. Now, believe it or not, we only get about 20 minutes left of this film. Uh, the film is just, just over an hour long, so it goes really quick. Uh, and I think I'm going to leave it there because I don't want to give away how this thing ends because it's <laughs> a really great ending. And if you're wondering what is kind of um, pre-code about this pre-code, shows up at the end of this film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. I, I was wondering that kind of as I was watching it, it's like, Boy, you know, most of the pre-code films are a little bit more salacious or they're kind of sexy. <laughs> and this is this seems really normal. And then if you get to the end, you're like, oh, that one. Yeah, that <laughs> rule. That's the rule that was that's that's being broken here. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think it is interesting. They were not supposed to show disreputable people in a positive light. But I felt like in this movie that the... Uh, and it's just my personal feeling. There's not a whole lot to back it. But I felt like Ellis was kind of icky, too. Oh, yeah. And you really like Judy and Terry, but you don't really like, well, and Bob and Peg, of course. But everybody else you kind of don't really like, maybe. Well, <laughs> I'm going to keep narrowing that down. Doc <laughs> and Ellis, you don't like. <laughs> no. No, you get the impression that while Ellis, in the end, is kind of integral to a happy ending, I suppose... Uh, he he does some things that are actually kind of nice for a crook. You also get the feeling that Ellis is also the kind of person that would uh, be leaving guns behind. You know, oh, look, he had a gun. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, <laughs> oh, look, look, he had this big wad of cash. Yeah. He's the kind of Not guy that would drop evidence in somebody's stuff. pocket. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Just to get his guy, he'd do whatever he had to. Exactly. No, he is definitely a little bit, a little skeezy. He, he and Doc are kind of just two sides of the same coin. Exactly. Which makes it interesting. This is a fun film. This is another one of these films where you see a lot of things that we're used to seeing in modern film. Uh, you're used to seeing the, uh, you know, the the crook trying to go straight. You're used to seeing the the guy that constantly trying to manipulate them. You're used to seeing the you're used to seeing the cop with that's always kind of right behind them or. Uh, 
you're used to seeing it all, and you know it's all here in 1932. Those it, again, I'm sure I've mentioned this a thousand times before on this podcast, but it's always fun to kind of see the origins of things that we are, <laughs> have become so commonplace today. Yeah. But what did you think of the film overall? Is it something that you liked? I I actually ended up enjoying this one. I did, and uh, you know when as as I said when I went to kind of preview it a little bit and make sure that I could find a decent copy to watch, I put it on just to kind of look at it, and all of a sudden it was almost over, and I was just engrossed in it. Yeah. I hit you know as soon as I started watching it, I couldn't stop watching it, and it's not that it's you know super dramatic or that there are amazing special effects. I was confused about a couple of minor things during it, mm-hmm. but I think it's very character driven. And so that appealed to me and that draws you in right away where you're not waiting for some external force to happen and make giant changes. It's just the people doing what they want to do, what their things are happening because the people are making decisions. And that's the best kind of story. Uh, you know, we've got no deus machina in here, deus ex machina in here. We've got nothing that, uh, you know, jumps out at you as being like really unreasonable, unreasonable or unrealistic. It's very simple and it's all based on characters that you really want to know more about and that you want to see what happens to them. Yeah. And just for that, it's, I think it's very enjoyable and it's absolutely worth watching. Yeah. I've found it interesting. I think this was one of those rare cases where if you take any of the parts, they're maybe not that interesting, but if you take them mm-hmm. as a whole, I mean, everything you'll see scenes. You're like, why are, why are we wasting our time here? But it's, you make it to the end of the film and you're like, that's why. Okay. It all you know. makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does. It all makes sense. It all ties together. Everything, you know, A leads to B leads to C. And it makes it really interesting and fun. It's just, it, it's, it's one of these things where the, uh, the whole is greater than the, the, than the parts, than the parts. And it, yeah. yeah. And it's that's very not always minimal. the case. No, it's really not. It, it's very minimalist. Uh, it's very, But we mentioned that it's a very short movie. Mm -hmm. They don't have anything in it that shouldn't be in it. It's it's probably the best edited movie we've reviewed just from the perspective that you don't have a whole lot of extra junk stuffed in it. So that that means it's 63 minutes running time. But that also means that you don't sit through anything that's not pertinent and all of it, you know, kind of clicks along. The only thing that I think if you really want to try to nitpick and maybe you have to sort of make up your own story is the idea that Piggy and Bob just happened to be in this town where this rich guy just happened to get back from Europe with, and he just happened to have a bunch of jewels. <laughs> and, well, and I like think that, you know, maybe that is the case, but it might be something where, and you're, well, you're wondering which direction did it go? Was, you know, was doc planning on ripping this guy off or was it because, you know, he looks and sees, oh, Riverdale, and oh, Bob and Peggy are there, and oh, so, you know, uh, Terry and Judy are going to be there, and oh, it just so happens. Well, you know, I think Doc's plan came after, I guess, after he found out where Terry was going. I agree, but from the perspective of storytelling, mm-hmm. it's it doesn't miss a beat. Mm. Um, I, th- I think you're right. I think probably he he agreed to take them with him to lay low until he could make some money off of them. And he just happens to see the paper that this guy's come back and it happens to be in that area. I genuinely didn't realize that I didn't realize that there was a connection between Bob and, um, the guy who's rich that I can't think of his name. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I didn't realize there was a connection, so it didn't, 
bother me. And I think that it would still flow as a story if there wasn't a connection. Sure. So it's almost more this. And I meant to, I meant to mention this earlier. It runs more like a stage play than like a movie. Yeah. Because it kind of does. Yeah. It's all very linked together. There's nothing extraneous and you don't have a whole lot of fades and transitions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I, I almost feel like it was written for a stage and then they just shot it exactly the way it would have been done on stage. Yeah, Especially because each scene, I mean, you have, very few uh, back and forth between different sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you only get that towards the end when you jump from the apartment where the trio are kind of holed up and Henderson's place. But yeah. prior to that, it's everything thing. You know, it's in the nightclub. Uh, then it's in the uh, where they're trying to crack the safe, mm-hmm. and then you go to Doc's, and then from Doc's you go to Peggy and and Bob's, and so it's all just like a a railroad car. You know, or, or yeah. a train, I should say, going from one car to another. And it's not until that like last 20 minutes or so that you actually get to the point where it feels more film-like, where you have yeah. multiple sets. And then in, in the end, that only lasts, actually, maybe that's only at the 35-minute mark. And then after that, it's all at Henderson's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and it's very... Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's almost exclusively shot inside. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's probably done on sound stages, regardless. But the scenes are all almost exclusively interiors, and so you don't have travel between places. You don't have. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it's just very edited down. Mm-hmm. There's very little. If there's not something happening in a scene, the scene's not in there. Again, very very character driven. It's another one of those films that, because it's so short, it makes it really easy to watch. Yes, I, totally I, I think agree. if this were like an hour and a half long film, I think there would have to be some fluff in there, and we'd probably think, "Oh God, who cares?" We'd say, "Why didn't they edit this down more?" Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which we've done in other movies where we've said, "Yeah, I could have done without this or that." I felt like it ran a little long. Yeah. This one, it doesn't run too long. It doesn't run too short. It. It. it I almost wish that there was. One scene, at, you know, but as I'm saying that, I don't really wish there was one scene after because the point of the story is, like I said, uh, my as, as I was watching it the second time, my focus shift and shifted and I realized that the movie isn't as much about what happens to I think I can say this. It's not as much about what happens to Judy and Terry as it is what happens to Doc. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, very true. And that surprised me when I was watching it the second time. I, I kind of was like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and this is a film, too. There are times where, I mean, I always watch the films at least twice. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just say twice. I always watch the films twice. <laughs> I watch it first just all the way through from beginning yep. to end. And then the second time I go back and do uh, the synopsis notes. And there are times where I think, oh, I kind of wish I didn't have to do the synopsis. You know, because I don't really want to go back and watch it again. This film, I honestly, I had no issue going back and watching it again. I was actually kind of looking forward to turning it on and, and doing my notes on it because I, I just kind of wanted to watch it again. That doesn't happen all that often. Not right away, especially. Yeah, exactly. When you're doing it literally like within a week of each other or whatever, mm-hmm. which is what I what I did to prepare for the uh, for this episode. But this one, I, I was like, okay, good. I, I sit down and watch and do my notes. And I, I'll admit, part of that was knowing that, well, it's only going to take me about 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to take me longer to actually write than it actually is to watch. <laughs> as far as ratings go, this is another one where I'm a little torn on the rating. I My first, my initial thought was maybe, because like we were saying, that there's nothing 
extravagant. There's nothing super special about it, but it's still a good story that it makes me just kind of want to fall in at around a three. Um, but just because of the the ending and how you know, if you go down the like the the rules that are you're supposed to not follow in the in the pre or in the postcode uh, world, and you see what goes on at the end, I just really like that ending, and mm-hmm. uh, I'd be willing to give it a half a point just for that. <laughs> so I think I would. I think a three and a half. I think is fair for me. All right. Oh, and I'm I'm very comfortable giving it just a solid three. Okay. I think. That this, you know, as I said, the things that I love about it, I've already said probably twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but there, there isn't anything just phenomenal. There is a little bit of rough directing. There is a bit of rough editing. It's not one of those that I'm going to tell you. You know what? If you're going to go out and see one movie, watch this one. Uh, it's not even going to be. If you're going to go out and see one movie or ten movies, watch this one. <laughs> it's not that it's a bad movie. Uh, you know, as we've said, we really enjoy it. Definitely recommend that you watch it. But there is. Um, you know, so it gets a it it's that solid C rating mm-hmm. that it did a good job. There's nothing wrong with it, but there's nothing great with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely watch it, but it's it's not a rush. Just kind of put it <laughs> put it somewhere in the queue, and you know, when you get to it, you get to it. <laughs> yeah. When you've got an hour, but only an hour. Mm, this is yeah, the one to watch. Exactly. <laughs> or you have exactly an hour and one minute, which is I think is yeah. what the runtime is. <laughs> I see, hour and three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. Well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I mean, when you uh, when I mentioned it to uh, to you and sent it to you, and then like a day later or whatever, like, yeah, let's do that one because I started to just watch it and I ended up watching the whole thing. I'm like, oh, okay, good. That was a good pick then, I guess. I- I'm looking forward it to seeing an accident. it. Yeah, I-, I rarely sit down that early to watch one of these, you know, I kind of try to wait until about the week before we're going to do the podcast, just so that it's fresh on my mind. Mm-hmm. But I, I genuinely, it started playing and I just didn't want to turn it off. Yep. And yeah, a lot of it is because of that Judy, because of how she's yeah. uh, very, uh, very adamant about what she's, what she wants and why. I mean, she's the smart one here. I mean, she, she really is. And that, that is what kind of pulls you in. Like you were saying earlier, I mean, she's the character that pulls you in because you want to see, do they finally agree with her? Because obviously that's the right choice. <laughs> she's obviously right. Well, and it's interesting. I I was really happy with the casting. I felt like she and Terry were a great match for each other, even though he, you know, he's frustrating because he just wants, he, but he just wants to get that one big score. But that's how relationships are. You have the one person that, that feels really strong. Strongly about one thing and the other person that feels strongly the other way mm-hmm. and, and the person that wants to make easy, make it easy and quick and the other person that says, no, we, you know, even though it's going to be tough, we have to do it this way. Uh, so, so I think there's such a great balance for each other. And I love that even when she's mad at him, you know, and then he shows up at Bob's, uh, she's so happy to see him. And, yeah. and, you know, and he says, I missed you. And she says, I missed you. Well, I mean, it's been, you know, 15 seconds in the movie. So right. <laughs> it couldn't have, been, couldn't have been more than a day or two that they were apart. But, you know, they're just so happy to see each other. Mm-hmm. So it just makes it really enjoyable to see, I think, such a well-matched couple. Yeah, very much. Um, Acting-wise, just before we go, because we were talking about uh, Murray, who plays Terry here, um, mm-hmm. you know, he starts out with his career very strong and then obviously kind of peters out. I mean, this is still early <laughs> in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's actually you know getting some roles and everything, I will admit that he's good, but he's not great. There's a few moments where I think, <laughs> and maybe it's the director not being able to like give him the right direction or not. But there are times where I feel like his reactions or or how he gives his lines just feel a little clunky. 
compared mm-hmm. to everyone else who feels very natural. Everyone else you feel like are real people having real conversations, and then there's Terry reading a script. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. I also kind of feel like there are a lot of really smart people in this movie, and then you got Terry, who's kind of the dimwit. Yeah. Uh, you know, he he's easily pushed around by whoever he's talking to at the moment. And so as far I, I would have to watch it again, really paying attention to his acting to give you an honest opinion or to give you a you know opinion that I can really stand behind. Sure. I just kind of I guess I wrote that off as him just being the dumb character. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which it may I may have just been, you know, taking that for granted. But uh, it, that'll be something that I'll look out for the next time I run it through. Well, I think uh, we've reached that point that we'll just start repeating ourselves. <laughs> yeah, I usually do. <laughs> yeah, I know I do. It's a bad thing. That's it's one of those things where I just have to learn when to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> so I think with that, we'll go ahead and close this out. I want to thank everyone for listening. I hope you enjoy the film if you go and watch it. And, of course, if you do or don't. Uh, send us an email. Let us know what you think. Uh, you know, do you agree or disagree with anything that we had to say on on any of it? Uh, just send that to orphanentertainment at gmail dot com or join the Facebook group and leave a comment there. I want to thank you very much for listening. And like I said, subscribe wherever you need to subscribe. If you're just finding the podcast, you know, hope you stick with us. I hope everyone had a fantastic holiday and a wonderful New Year. And we'll be back in a month uh, with another fun film. So until then, I guess we will say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone. And thank you, Lydia. I didn't say thank you to you. Oh, thank you, Christopher. (laughs) (laughs) I always always thank you. I forgot to thank you this time. Oh, you know, it's one time out of 50. (laughs) Or, or, yeah, well, it's 50. 60. 60, 60, yeah. yeah. Well, I do appreciate you coming on every month, and I appreciate everyone for listening. So now we will finally say goodbye. (laughs) Bye. Merry what? Merry Christmas. Happy New Year.